what parts of your story cause you shame? Is it a part of your story because of something you did or something that happened to you or something someone did to you? Is the part of your story you carry a lot of shame from because of a weakness or a failure? Is it um, because of a time where you were vulnerable? Do you feel like it's wounded you? Do you feel like it's handicapped you? (laughs) Uh, And now you almost like have a metaphorical limp in life? You know, limp, it's um, it's a sign of weakness. And you don't want it, you um, can't deny it, but you definitely don't want to talk about it or what let others know about it. If so, I want you to know something. We are all broken and wounded because of our sinful humanity. Sin uh, is a reality and it's a reality that, that has affected all of us. Is sin is our unbelief in who God is, and it's how we act on this unbelief through our thoughts, through our attitudes, through our words, and through our actions. As sin is the reason, it's the cause of brokenness in our world, and it's affected all of us, and therefore it has wounded all of us. The wounds are real, aren't they? The wounds are painful. And sometimes those wounds can be devastating. And because we're all broken and we are all wounded, we rely on something. And we rely on our self-confidence and our self-assurance to hide what we don't want others to see. We do exactly what Adam and Eve did in uh, the the Genesis narrative at the beginning of time when they sinned against God. And after they sinned against God, they realized they were naked. And what do they do? They hid themselves with fig leaves. And we do the same thing. In our shame, we hide ourselves with proverbial fig leaves. Now, our fig leaves are are not literal in that way, but they are the ways that we hide behind our self-confidence, and we hide behind our self-assurance. Dan Allender, in his book, Leading with a Limp, he writes this. He says, this is the strange paradox. To the degree you attempt to hide or disassemble your weaknesses, the more you will need to control those you lead, the more insecure you will become, and the more rigidity you will impose. Interesting, right? We deny what is real about our weaknesses, all because self-confidence and self-assurance are valued more than self-awareness. So in society, our culture compels us to cover up our wounds because they're a sign of weakness. This is why that when someone will uh, confront me or ask me about something that I've committed to do, but I've, I've honestly forgot to do, I am tempted to reply with, oh, I've, I've got it, or I'm working on it, when the reality is I forgot completely about it. I'm tempted to lie. Now, I know I'm not the only person here, or maybe I am the only person here who struggles with this, 
But it's what I do. See, lying is a fig leaf. It's a way that I control my my narrative. It's a way that I, I keep myself from appearing to be a failure. It's how I control my self-image and how I control others and others' opinions of me. I hide a bunch. I hide behind a bunch of fig leaves <laughs> because I don't want others to see my weaknesses. I don't want others. I don't want to appear vulnerable, and I don't want to be. A failure. See, why would we want to cover those things up? Why is it? Why, why is that? Why wouldn't we want to be honest with our weaknesses? Why wouldn't I want to be honest with others about the fact that I forgot? Because we don't want to look weak and we don't want to be a failure. Because I have a limp and because we have a limp in life, we think our limp disqualifies us from so many things in life. And so what do we do? We cover up our brokenness. We hide our weaknesses and fig leaves and we hide our insecurities. We avoid vulnerability. We avoid failure. We avoid being vulnerable because that leads to defeat. Vulnerability then causes me to be a failure. Now, if your faith or the faith that you grew up having does not give permission for failure, if it doesn't give you permission to to show your weaknesses, then you have subscribed to the wrong version of faith. And if your Christianity says that you have to be perfect and it's such a compelling thing that you hide your weaknesses, you hide your sins, and and you don't let anyone else know about your insecurities, I have great news for you today. The faith that Jesus wants you to have is a different version of faith. More on that in a moment. We have been in this series and we're finishing up this series today called Becoming Emotionally Healthy. And for those of you that are new with us, I'm so glad that you're in this part of our journey. Even though it's a last leg, you're going to, I I think, be blessed by today's teaching. And I hope that you um, leave today feeling accepted in this community. I hope you're challenged by today. And I hope that you leave encouraged. And one of the things that as our guest today, whether you're watching online or in the room, we do have a gift for you. And for everyone online, they're posting a link right now to a Connect card. If you'll click that and uh, let us know that you're here with us. Uh, We would love to send you a gift for being with us. And for those of you that are new in the room with us today, if you'll go back to the back of the table, Miss Alicia's back there and she'd love to give you a gift for being with us today. Uh, Hey, Westside, would you let everyone watching online and everyone that's new with us in the room, let them know how grateful we are to share this time with them. Will you do that? Yeah. So we are finishing up this series. This is the series big idea that we've been looking at, um, that spiritual maturity is having a a healthy relationship with God, myself, and others. This is spiritual maturity. See, spiritual maturity is your healthy relationship with God. And and that leads you to see yourself in, in light of who you are in Christ, the way God sees you in Christ. And then that be, leads you to be healthier. You makes you a healthier version of you. And it's out of a healthier version of you that you now have healthier relationships 
with others. And, and I pray this has been, this series has been as meaningful for you, for you as this has been for me. I have noticed that in my own self, that, that I've become more emotionally healthy. And I almost describe it like this. I feel like God in this time, as we're putting these disciplines into practice, is depositing an, an emotional wealth or an, a, a relational wealth into us so we can invest it into his kingdom mission. And in this series, we've been talking about what emotional health is. And here's the working definition we've been using. That emotional health is measured by your ability to manage what you think, feel, say, and do regardless of what happens to you. Therefore, we become more mature spiritually as we manage our thoughts, as we manage our feelings, as we manage what we say and what we do according to what Jesus commands us and teaches us to do and models for us to do. And this is why what Pete Scazzaro wrote in his book, Become an Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, is important for us to understand that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Now today we're going to look at this seventh practice or this last mark of being emotionally healthy. And it's all about what we do with our weaknesses and how we deal with being vulnerable. And here's a teaching big idea uh, for today's teaching. And this is what I want you to embrace and lean into. Lead from your limp and discover God's wisdom and power in your weakness. Lead from your limp and discover God's wisdom and power in your weaknesses. We know that people in today's society and in the world that we live in, people don't like to follow those with a metaphorical limp, a.k.a. a weakness. Many of us don't want to follow others with a limp in a life or a, a failure in their life or a weakness in their life because to follow someone who is a failure or who is weak is counter to our culture, isn't it? I mean, this is countercultural. We know, and we know this about ourselves, that if we then display a limp in our life or we show a limp, people won't want to follow us. And maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel that you have a limp in life and your limp is a weakness or a failure in your life that disqualifies you from leading others. Now, I want you to hear me clearly. And for those of us who are Christ followers, the reality is that everyone who follows Jesus Christ is called to lead others. Every one of us. This is why in our church culture, it's very unique. In our church culture, we call everyone who serves a leader because we are all called to lead others. This is why we call everyone who serves a leader. See, we are calling people up to what Jesus has called us to do. Make disciples. See, your limp doesn't disqualify you from leading in the kingdom of God. So we need to learn how to lead from our limp and embrace our weaknesses. And when we lead from vulnerability, from this place of weakness, we discover something. We discover God's wisdom and power at work in our whole story, including the parts of our story that we don't want others to know. Scripture reveals to us 
what is counterculture. See, Scripture reveals to us what is counterculture to the real, the worldview that the strong and the smartest ones are the ones who make the biggest impact. See, Scripture reveals that God chooses to use the weak and vulnerable over the powerful and prideful. Let's just do a quick survey. So God calls Abraham. He calls Abraham and Sarah. They were weak because they could not have children. And he calls them to create the nation of Israel. Then God would choose Jacob, who not just by name means deceiver or liar. He himself would be a liar and deceiver. And God would make him and turn him into the nation of Israel. God used Moses, who was slow in speech, to deliver the nation of Israel from Egypt. God would use Rahab, a prostitute. God would use um, Ruth, who was a widow. God would use Gideon, who was a from the most insignificant clan, one of the most insignificant clans of Israel. God would use Esther, an exile. God would choose David, the smallest shepherd boy, a small shepherd boy over the powerful warrior who stood head and shoulders above everybody else, Saul. David also would be an adulterer. Yet Acts, the book of Acts, would tell us that David would be a man after God's own heart. Solomon. David's son, who was born out of this adulterous relationship and who also had family problems that would surpass your family problems because he had a brother who killed his other brother for something that brother did that you and I would not even want to mention about. We would want to hide it in our family. And you thought you had some baggage. But God would choose to use Solomon in the big story. Nehemiah was an exiled slave who was a cupbearer to the king. And I could go on and on through all these stories in, in scripture. But we still give in to the temptation, don't we? See, we are tempted to protect our pride and to be powerful. We're still tempted to protect our pride. Our pride keeps us looking for fig leaves to cover up our weaknesses. And our pride deceives us into believing something, into believing that we are most powerful when we are not vulnerable. Why do we give in to that? Why do we give in to our pride? And why do we give in to this pressure, the cultural pressure, to appear powerful? Because we don't understand Jesus. And we don't understand Jesus because our eyes are not fixed upon Jesus. Because our eyes are not fixed upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your and my faith, we don't see who we are in Christ. And all we see is who we are because of our wounds, our failures, our weaknesses, and all these insecurities. We see our weaknesses more than we see Jesus and his power. I have an insecurity. I have an insecurity that I've tried to cover up through the years. It's an insecurity that has crippled me at times. It's been a handicap in my life. And it's been a handicap maybe even our church family. It's a weakness that God has taught me 
to embrace as I rely on his wisdom and power. It's a, it's a weakness that, that, that God wanted to use, but I've allowed it to handicap me. And it's something that he wants to reveal his power and wisdom through. And I, and I have what some people would call a, a paper ceiling. It's something that um, I, I've dealt, like I, I, I've been insecure about. I, um, I don't have the extended education that many people that would be in a position like mine of a church size of ours would have. I don't have this education. I don't have the extended education um, that, that, that is so much that if I were to apply to one, for another job, they would look over me automatically because I only have an associate of arts in ministry from a school in Pensacola, Florida. And now I wanted to, now this is not the story I wanted to have. I wanted to go to college. In fact, I wanted to be the CEO of a successful business so I could make a lot of money. And this was honestly a, a desire of mine, noble desire. I wanted to fund churches. I wanted to be successful and wealthy to fund churches. But God had a different plan for Casey Robinson. See, that's what I wanted, but God wanted to use me in ways where I would need to learn to rely on his wisdom and his power through my weaknesses. And this has been a hard to embrace over the years. This has been hard. Um, I've tried to hide it at times uh, because I didn't want uh, to appear weak or as a failure. Even to some of you, I didn't want to appear weak or as a failure. And this has been my insecurity. And when the topic of my education would come up, I would try, I would answer it as softly as I could and maybe redirect the conversation or get the conversation put on the other person. uh, So I could avoid that part of that topic. And this has been really difficult in a very academic culture like we have in our church family. Our staff is more educated than I am. And, and many of you that are sitting here today, some, some of you have two masters. And many, uh, they're, it's amazing how many people per capita, like the number of people in our church family who have doctorates. And I can allow that to make me feel insecure. I know that people want to follow someone who was smarter and has a strong validation uh, through a highly acclaimed school, which I don't have. And I've seen that as a weakness in my life. I didn't even know, and this has been hard for me over the years, I know that people have left our church because they found out I didn't have that credible level of education. And at the time, that made me insecure, and I would want to hide it. And it often made me feel disqualified. I feel like it was my limp And therefore, it disqualified me from leading. But I don't anymore. And I have a limp in my life, and I'm okay with that limp now. And I can freely admit that, yeah, it's a weakness in my life because I've learned something. I've learned something that I want you to learn. That Jesus reveals a theology of weakness. Think about this. God incarnate... That right, that, that concept right there reveals the theology of weakness. God becoming human is a signal to this, that God shows us his power works through our weaknesses. Jesus, God incarnate, would, would, not, would, would also show this in, in how he allowed himself to be birthed into this world. He was born into poverty. 
He wasn't born with the kingly pomp and circumstance. He, he, was, he, he was born into poverty. And shortly after he was born, he became a refugee. Mary and Joseph had to leave and flee to Egypt because they were out to kill him. Jesus didn't grow up in a financially wealthy home. And Jesus didn't get the leg up in this world. Because... He shows us a theology of weakness. And not only did his life kind of show us this, Jesus would teach and his teachings would teach a theology of weakness. Jesus taught, and this is what he would teach, that in order to be great, you must not just be the servant, but you must be the slave of all. You must be the weakest person in the room. And then Jesus, God in flesh, displayed the ultimate weakness and failure. God died. The ultimate failure that we all face in life, that we all are trying to in some ways avoid in life, right? God died. And he died not just in any way, he died the death of a criminal. The night before Jesus died, Jesus cries out in weakness to ask God the Father, if there's any other way, let it be. And I want to read this to you to let it sink in. As he submits to God the Father's will. Check this out. God became human. Took our frail humanity. The creator became like the created. And he became weak for you and me. And these are his words as he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And that right there, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Why? Because he was weak. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, take this cup, which the cup is a symbol of suffering. It's a metaphor for even the death that he would embrace. May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will. But as you will. Jesus prayed this three times. See, Jesus models what we need to do with our weakness. When Jesus was weak, he did not hide, he relied. He did not hide his weakness, he relied on the Father, his Father God, God the Father's wisdom and power. You and I don't need to hide our sins. We don't need to hide our failures. We don't need to hide our weaknesses and where we are vulnerable because when we rely on God's wisdom and power, we don't need to hide. Jesus became victorious by becoming vulnerable and weak. See, God's wisdom and power were revealed through Jesus' weaknesses. God's wisdom would be revealed through, the, Jesus, through, the, through the, uh, the death of Jesus. The wisdom of God was revealed through the cross of Christ. And the power of God, God's power, would be displayed through Jesus Christ's resurrection. Jesus demonstrates a theology of weakness and... The apostles embraced this. Now check this out. Ordinary men, ordinary fishermen of all people, Jesus would choose uh, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. 
uneducated men. And he would choose them to, to build this new kingdom family. Uh, God would use a doubter named Thomas to take the gospel to parts of Asia. God would use a, an outcast with a label. A label he would carry all his life. Matthew, the tax collector. And in that day and age, the tax collector was like the scum of the earth. That's the feeling they had about tax collectors. And God would use him. See, the apostles embraced and taught, a, taught the church to trust that God's wisdom and strength would be revealed through their weaknesses. This was most evident in the book of Acts. And it's also evident in the teachings uh, of the prideful and powerful man whom God humbled, Saul of Tarsus. Saul used his power uh, to silence the, the followers of Jesus. He would use his positional power to silence them and his intellectual ability and his education to scheme against the movement of Jesus that was called the way. Until one day the resurrected Jesus would overpower Saul, knocking him down to the ground and blinding him. And this is how that story goes. That encounter goes as he fell to the ground. He heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And Jesus replied, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. We best know Saul by his Greek name, Paul. Paul was transformed by a resurrected Jesus. He then surrendered to Jesus as his Lord and then would become discipled in the ways of Jesus by Barnabas. Paul was taught about the way of Jesus and began to follow the way of Jesus. Paul was so humbled that even though he had violently opposed Jesus for so many years, that Jesus would choose him to take the gospel of Jesus crucified and Jesus resurrected to the Greek-speaking world. No longer would Paul leverage his strengths and power to demonstrate God's wisdom and power. Let me say that again, because you need to recognize this in, in, in his story. No longer would Paul leverage his strengths and his power to demonstrate God's wisdom and God's power. His message was changed. His, his methods were changed. He now led from his limp and he led from his weakness and he would teach the church to embrace theirs. To the church in Corinth, he would write this. In 1 Corinthians, uh, here, here in, 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 he would write this in chapter 1, verse 18. He goes, brothers and sisters, think of what you were bef when you were called. He, he, he goes on. I'm sorry, I started too late. For the message of the cross, verse 18, this is where it is. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Some of you need to underline that. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Can I ask you, have you been relying or living your life on human wisdom? That says hide it. Don't confide it. 
Or are you relying on God's power and his wisdom? Verse 26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. And now look at this. He points out some of their weaknesses. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. To which someone go like, say, what? That was kind of like a reverse slap there. <laughs> he just ridiculed us in a way. But it goes on. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us, look at this, the wisdom of God. And then he gives you something remarkable. You want to know the wisdom of God looks like? It looks like Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus Christ's wisdom looks like for you. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith and your faith and your faith and your faith and your faith might not rely or might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. I'd encourage you to underline that verse 5. In fact, I encourage you to memorize that verse 5. Because it's your faith or the version of faith you have, is, is it reliant on human wisdom? Or is it reliant? Or is it resting on God's power? When you and I hide our sins and we hide behind, hide these things, we hide our sins, we hide our failures, we hide our insecurities, we hide our weaknesses, our faith is in human wisdom. Think about that. When you hide these things, your faith is in human wisdom. But when we understand what Jesus' death and resurrection means for our weak, our frail, our sinful humanity, our faith won't rely on human wisdom. Our faith will rest in God's power, in God's wisdom to work through our weaknesses. Paul learned this. Paul embraced this. And you and I need to do it as well. You need to understand that your righteousness is not what you do in your rightness. That's not your righteousness. But Jesus Christ alone is your righteousness. Your holiness is not in your ability to be perfect. It's not in your perfection. But Jesus Christ alone is your holiness. Your redemption is not in your ability to make up for the wrongs or to prove yourself in this life. Jesus Christ alone is your redemption. This is what Paul's boast was. And this is our uh, boast as well. See, when we see who we are in Christ, 
When we see where we stand in Christ, we can embrace our weaknesses. We can lead with a limp. We know it does not disqualify us anymore and we don't have to be ashamed of it anymore. And and here is the beautiful thing is when we stand in Christ, we have everything we need. But do we believe it? Paul would follow up his letter and give you and I the assurance that we can lead with our limp. Give you and I the assurance we don't have to hide our weaknesses, our sins, or or, or believe that our limp disqualifies us. In verse 7 of chapter 12 of the second letter that we have, he writes, Therefore, in order to keep me from being coming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Now, it's not important to know what that is. I mean, if it were, we'd probably know about it. But he goes, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Those are Jesus' words. His power is made perfect in your Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight. Look at that. I delight in weakness, in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God's grace is revealed to you when you allow God's power to be made perfect in your weakness. When you embrace your weaknesses, you rely on God's strength. See, unbelief says that when you are weak, you are defeated. But God's truth says when you are weak in Christ, you are strong. You don't have to be perfect, strong, or have it all together. Isn't this great news? I mean, this is good news, isn't it? See, we need to learn to lead from our limp. Don't allow our weaknesses, don't allow your failures to disqualify you. They don't. Don't allow your past to prohibit you from experiencing God's wisdom and his strength. Your enemy wants you to hide your weaknesses. Your enemy wants you to to hide your sins. Your enemy wants you to hide your failures. That's what he wants to do. You know why? Because he knows the truth. That your weakness is what allows God's wisdom and power to make you strong. This is why culture leads you the way it leads you. It's so counterculture because it's the truth that in your weakness is what God allowed God's wisdom and power to make you strong. There is no shame 
For those who stand in Christ, relying on the power of the cross. And this is why we can confess our sin. This is why we don't have to hide our insecurities. We don't have to cover up our imperfections. And we don't have to use the fig leaves that we use to hide our hurts and to hide our wounds. We can lead with a limp. Knowing that our limp in life doesn't disqualify us. But the limp in life is who, those who limp in life are those who God uses in this life. In the book that has inspired this series by Pete Scazzaro, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, he writes a prayer at the end of it. And it's a prayer that he shares that has encouraged him to stay on this journey of weakness. And I just want to read this to you. He goes, I ask God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to humbly obey, to humbly to obey. I asked for health that I, might not, um, that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of others. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all people, most richly blessed. So what part of your story are you hiding because of shame? What limp has in your mind disqualified you? Do you believe that? I have good news for you. There's no part of your story God won't use for his glory. So what have you been covering up today? What limp have you allowed to disqualify you from relying on God's wisdom and his power through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus? See, God wants you and I to lead from our limp and discover his wisdom and power at work in our weaknesses. And I'm not going to ask you to confess these things. I mean, you need to confess those to God, but you need to live differently. And we want to now take this time to just pray with you and pray over you. And we want you to pray over one another and with one another. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand. We've got a culture in our church now that we do this with one another. And I love this. And I'm going to ask you to get in groups of two or three. And if you're new with this, I encourage you to have the courage to do this. And, and, and Westside, look around, make sure nobody's left alone. And, and this is what I want you to do. Um, if you're new with us and, or if you just don't want anybody to pray with you, uh, we want to respect that. So if someone comes and says, can I pray with you? Just say no, thank you, and we'll respect that. But I want you to pray with one another. And this is how I want you to pray with one another. Father, help my friend trust you with all, with all of his or her story. Can you pray that? Because when you trust God with all of your story, you know that he can use your weaknesses and your limp for his glory. So I want you to go ahead and do this. Would you go ahead and break off? Go ahead right now and take this. The band's going to pad. I want you to pray this over one another, pray this for one another, or however the Holy Spirit leads you to pray. And then we're going to sing together. Online, we encourage you to do this as well. Post it in the chat.